Welcome to Radical Simple Living and this is episode 5 of series 2. I'm a little bit late this week and the reason being since I should have recorded this podcast the news has been so unbelievably awful um, that the idea of sitting down and recording a podcast about simple living didn't seem the right thing to do. The news is still awful, but here I am, and uh, those of you who are listening to this podcast as a historical event, an historical event, I should say, um, it's in October, we're at the middle of October um, in 2023, and some bad stuff has been happening. Now, the, the way the world goes, and the sad thing is, that you might be listening to this podcast in three months or four months or a year's time. And for all I know, even worse news is happening then, or even more bad news is happening. So it's grim. I, I don't have anything to say about it. I don't think anything that uh, could be said hasn't been said. So I'm going to move on. I'm going to talk this week you know I, I got a bit annoyed about words and things a couple of podcasts ago and the fact that people don't always say what they mean and don't always mean what they say and the brief of this podcast is to help to make your life more simple and that doesn't mean growing your own vegetables and making your own clothes and doing your own carpentry it also means being a simple person approaching the world in a simple way and expecting the world to respond to you in a simple way and that affects every aspect of your life and where you live and how you live and how you dress um, and you know what you do in your day and what you do with your life but it's also what comes out of your mouth because quite often people are living a simple life but they bury themselves in complexity when it comes to talking about things and I believe that true simplicity of the kind that uh, I seek and many of you seek too means a sort of simplicity of spirit as well as just a simplicity of lifestyle it means making every aspect of your life as simple as it can be in order that you can appreciate it you can appreciate all of it as much as possible now some of the words we use are crazy because they we use them and they mean different things to different people. Now, in a world where things go wrong and in a world where things go wrong on an industrial scale, um, I think we have to be very careful how we use words and we have to be very careful what we say all the time. And so to start off this podcast, I'd like to take you back to some physics of sometimes back in your school career if you remember sitting in the physics lab and having a lesson there would have been a time when your teacher would have taught you about scalar and vector forces what is a scalar force and what is a vector force it needn't be a force it can actually be any kind of measurement but there is a difference between them a scalar force is one that just has magnitude. It has size. Size and scalar both begin with S, which is a good way to remember the difference. And vector forces have direction as well as magnitude, as well as size. 
So if we think about gravity, for instance, gravity has a direction, assuming that you're listening on planet Earth. Um, the direction of gravity is towards the centre of the Earth. So if a cat were to jump off this table now, and that, that is not outside the realms of, of probability in the next 20 minutes or so, then that cat will go downwards. It will go downwards towards the centre of the Earth because the force of gravity is acting on it and it's a vector force. It has direction. Some things are scalar. They don't have any direction at all. They just happen. They're just a, a property that takes place. If we think about the mass of a body, that isn't dependent on gravity and therefore it is a scalar, it's not a vector. So the weight of an object is vector, but the mass of an object is a scalar. Now, the difference between mass and weight is one of those things that children have problems with, and maybe you can remember having problems with it too. I'm not going to label it, a labor on it. This is not a physics lesson. It might sound like one, but it isn't. Oh, I can't just run across my keyboard then without pressing any buttons, which is quite clever. Now, um, one of the words that really can irritate me is the word progress. Because progress should be a vector. Progress should have direction as well as size. You should say our struggle to get cats to behave properly is making some progress. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because we know the direction, well-behaved cats, we know what we're working towards, and therefore we can make progress in that respect. But sometimes the word progress is thrown at us as though it means something on its own. You know, nobody would do that and say, the size, what about the size, what about the size, without saying what the size is, the size of what, the size of an elephant, the size of a bucket of water, the size of a, a broad bean, we don't know. So progress is used vaguely as a term that we're supposed to fall in behind. And quite a number of times in my life, people have written to me and said, you are against progress. And to which the only reply can be, I'm against progress about what? You know, we can't be against progress and therefore we cannot be in favour of progress. If somebody's talking about progress, they need to say something about its frame of reference so we know what it means. You can't say, I'm in favour of progress. You can't say progress is... You've got to... Uh, you've got to qualify it in some way. Towards the end of this podcast, I'll give you a nice little example of how it can be used in a very forceful way, but a, a fairly meaningless way. But you know what I mean. Progress in itself isn't a thing. It is just a word. Now, in all sort of countries over the world, there's a, a measure that's normally taken of child poverty. And... Child poverty means that there are children living that don't have enough to eat, who don't have enough money coming into their family to help keep them warm and to clothe them properly. Now, you might think 
that child poverty is something that only happens in developing countries. Well, it doesn't. Developed countries, Britain, America, France, Australia, they all have level, and Sweden, they all have levels of child poverty. And some countries have a better record than this than others. If you are actively trying to get children out of poverty, then as far as I'm concerned, you are making progress in the right direction. Poverty is bad. Poverty of children is even worse. Poverty in a poverty in children in a country where there is more money going round than need be is a, a terrible sin as far as I'm concerned. So we can all agree on progress in some areas. But in other areas, the word, the word progress is lightly applied to things in a way that we're supposed to understand. Now in Britain, this is when my podcast would have been topical if I'd have broadcast it on the day I expected to. In Britain, they had a project called HS2. HS stands for High Speed and 2 stands for a number. <laughs> and the idea of HS2 was to have a high-speed rail link between London, which is in the south of England, and the north of England. Forget about Scotland and Wales, they weren't going to get a high-speed railway anyway. Um, it was between, it was so one bit of England and another bit of England, you could get between them faster. And when I say faster, they're not, England's not a very big country. If you look on England as a map from almost any other country, it looks like a tiny country. Because it is, really. If you live there, it's no disrespect to you, it's just a fact of geography. England is quite a small country. Uh, Great Britain, the UK is bigger. But England itself is quite a small country. So to have a railway link going from one end to the other isn't going to knock weeks off travel or days off travel. It's not like when the first railroads went across the US from the east coast to the west coast and all of a sudden uh, the world got smaller for lots of people. That crackling is my fire. By the way, I've been working in the garden all morning and it's raining now, so I've come in to warm up. Um, so uh, the High Speed Railway was going to get people across the country a few minutes faster than it would have done in the past. Not a great deal faster, I think, a few minutes earlier to London to Birmingham and another few minutes from Birmingham to Manchester. But it was going to cost billions of pounds to make. And in order to make it, they had to build a, a railway line right up the country. They had to buy houses from people and demolish them. Those people didn't want to sell their house, but they had their house compulsorily purchased and their houses were demolished. It drove straight through archaeological digs. In the process of excavating some incredibly... Uh, England has a long, rich history in terms of the people that have lived there over, over the centuries. And wonderful archaeological finds were made. And they had to be excavated record fast. And then this thing goes through them. People had their houses purchased. Compulsorily demolished. People had their farmland purchased and a great cut through the middle of it to house this railway. And people had nature reserves, ancient woodland, and Britain needs all the woodland it can keep, but these were just bulldozed down. 
Now, why was this done? If you asked about it, people would say, because it's progress. Uh, progress towards what? Or people would say, it will help with growth. And you know one of my feelings about growth. I did a podcast about it quite recently. I think it's a myth. Or it will help heal the North-South divide. Now, if you live in a country, if you live in the US, you've got a North-South divide. Um, in, in, in UK, the North-South divide is the other way around. It's the, it's the South that holds the upper hand and the North has traditionally provided goods for the South, but has never seen the degree of wealth that the South of, of Britain has had. So was it going to do those things? Well, I don't think it was. I think it was going to make rail journeys a little bit faster for business people. Now, if we're talking about progress, wouldn't it be progress to say business people no longer need to go up and down the country on high-speed trains to have meetings? They can have meetings from their kitchen. I'm talking to you now from my kitchen in the Swedish forest with a few cats and a crackling fire in the background. I don't need to come and visit you. You'll be, you'll be delighted to hear. I don't need to get on a train and come and see you and then say, let's build a faster train so I can get to see you even quicker. That is not sensible. The sensible thing to have done with all that money is to improve the facilities of the railways that were built in Victorian times and need a lot of money spending on them. People in the north of England have an appalling rail service. People in the north of England have had so little investment in their infrastructure over the decades and it's about time they did. But I don't think building a high-speed rail link with London is the answer. You know, that's almost suggesting, how can I be really successful part of the country? You could be closer to London. No, the north of England can be very successful on its own. The Midlands, where I, I, I studied uh, uh, university, wonderful part of the country. It can develop its own infrastructure, give it the money to do so, give it the help to get it started, and it can be done. We don't need a high-speed rail link. So I was overjoyed when the last leg of it was cancelled. Not everybody was. But they had a lot of people talking about why it was terrible that it had been scrapped. It had been scrapped, incidentally, for those of you who don't live in UK, because the cost of it had rocketed. Every time they closed their eyes and opened it, the cost had gone up by a few more billion pounds, and it became a ridiculous thing to spend money on. But I watched some reports from this, and I listened to some reports, and I read some reports, and there were people who didn't want the scheme to be scrapped, standing up and saying, this is standing in the way of progress, without any of them defining what progress really is, and without any of them saying uh, progress towards what, why is this standing in the way of progress? And you come to the realisation, and, and some of you will know projects that have been going in your own locality, that the word progress is bounded around by people who, on the whole, are going to make a lot of money about what's going to happen. We want to scrub this farmland and build a golf course. Why? It's progress. Progress for whom? Progress for the person that's going to make lots of money out of opening up a golf course where there wasn't one before? I don't know. People say, we must demolish this woodland here and build some new houses on it. 
Well, whenever that happens, whenever that happens, they're not building affordable houses for people to live in. They're building luxury houses so people can get on their high-speed trains and live further away from London and still live in a big house and afford it. That's not progress either. Progress is the word people use to hit you over the head with to pretend that you're not really uh, a grip of the situation. I don't want fracking to happen in my neighbourhood. You're against progress. I don't want to see new oil wells developed. If we're supposed to be getting off fossil fuels, why do we need new oil fields? You're against progress. You know, we don't need high-speed this. We don't need high-speed that. We don't need new this. We don't need a new shopping mall. We don't need a new car park. We don't need new runways in our airport. You're against progress. How can you be against something that is indefined? How can you undefined? How can you be accused of being against progress if nobody has told you what you're progressing towards? Now, I think what we have to say here, as soon as you say you're against progress, then a whole new barrage of arguments come. Say, no, I'm against progress. I say, ah, oh, you are a Luddite. You are living in the past. You are wanting to hang on to old ways and you've got to move forward. Give me one good reason why you've got to move forward. Before you move forward, you need to know which direction you're heading in. John Lennon said that. It's a podcast about it in series one of that title. Before we can have progress, surely we need to have a consensus of what progress means and what we're progressing towards. And lots of things you could get people to agree on. Child poverty is one of those things. Saving our planet. Stopping wars. All of these things you can make progress towards, but we're not. We're usually making progress to some crazy thing that we don't even know. We haven't had it defined to us. All we know is that someone along the line is making lots of money out of it and they're using the word progress to help push their ideas forward. Now, regular listeners will know that I'm a great fan of the books of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And as I've said before, almost everybody I've ever met who decides to live a bit off-grid, a bit other way, delve into homesteading, delve into self-sufficiency, always started off as a child reading or being read to Laura Ingalls Wilder. And this is one of the things that Laura Ingalls Wilder says through the mouth of Pa. Now, if you've read the books, you'll know that Pa is a stirring character. And quite often, Laura puts into his mouth maybe he really said them because they are based on her lifetime experiences but she has a deep respect for pa and pa doesn't often give he doesn't often rant does he there's a cat about to jump up here are you going to come on then yes we're joined by a cat here it's a bit wet um okay pa says this in oringa's world i think it's from the long winter towards the end, when Parr is fairly worn out, I think. And he says, these times are too progressive. Everything changed too fast. Railroads and telegraphs and kerosene and coal stoves, they're good to have, 
But the trouble is, folks get to depend on them. Okay, that last bit again. They're good to have, but the trouble is, folks get to depend on them. And there we have the crux of it, don't we? Progress shouldn't be making you, progress in any field, progress shouldn't make you less self-reliant, should it? Um, if you say, okay, I'm gonna, I have a wood burning stove here. It's very well seasoned wood. I have a, a good quality wood burner. I have my uh, chimney and my wood inspected annually. And I, I'm pretty sure that I do it in the lowest pollution way as possible. And as all the wood is sourced locally, mainly from fallen trees, I have no qualms about this at all. Some of you live in a city and that's not an option for you. I live a long way from a city and I'm able to burn wood happily. Somebody could come along and say to me, you know, you shouldn't be burning wood in your house. What you really need is this new central heating system, which is based on, I don't know, heat pumps or burning propane or um, using hydrogen or some really high-tech way of heating your home. And I could say, yes, I'll do it. And I could get my home fitted at vast expense with this new system. But who's to know? Who's to know if five or six years down the line, the supplies of these products, the propane, the hydrogen, the technology behind the solar pump may not work anymore. It may go up and up and up and cost like the HS2 scheme. And all of a sudden we find ourselves living in poverty because we can't afford to heat our homes by the way that was suggested to us in the name of progress. If there's nothing wrong with burning wood, and if I'm willing to spend a good part of my time stacking wood and chopping wood and hauling wood, then I'm going to stick with what I've got, a wood-burning stove. I do have it cleaned professionally by a, a chimney sweep, and I do look after it very well myself. I actually love chopping the wood and storing the wood and cutting the wood and stacking the wood. It makes me feel close to the environment I live in, and that's fine. So it would not be progress for me to move to another heating method, but people say it's progress. People will tell you things are progress, and of course, by the time you've had your chimneys taken out and you've got this new system, then when the new system doesn't work, it's much harder to go back to what you did have. So the real question here is, should you get rid of things unless there's a really good reason? And I say, the answer is no. Robert Frost, the poet, almost everybody claims Robert Frost, don't they? New England, where he lived for some time, and uh, the Welsh Borders claims Robert Frost. I think he came from California originally. I, I, you, I'll check up on that afterwards. But Robert Frost said, before you pull down a fence, find out the reason people put it up in the first place. And I would say, before you consider change, especially progressive change, Think about what you're doing now and what is wrong with that. And if there's nothing wrong with the way you're doing things, why change it? Years ago, I could repair washing machines. I could fit new bits to washing machines. I could, I could take the drum out. I could put new seals on. I could put new pumps on. If there were mechanical bits that went wrong, I could have a look at them. Couldn't always do it, but usually I could. And if I needed to replace a part, I could get it. 
Nowadays, a washing machine is... Oh! Sorry about that. I could edit that out, but I won't. That was a cat that was asleep who had a dream in which something really bad happened and they jumped about a foot up in the air and sent things flying. You okay? Kia? Yeah, she's now yawning. She's all right. She's got over it. Sorry about that. I won't edit it out because I know a lot of you like my cat antics that go on here. Um, where was I? I think I was talking about we shouldn't just change things for the sake of changing them. We, could, we should spend a long time thinking about it. The Amish are very good at thinking about changes. They have horses and buggies and somebody invents the automobile and they have a long think about it and they say, no. No, I don't think so. I think we're okay with the horse and buggies. We like our horse and buggies. We can breed our own horses. There's a good buggy making tradition in our, among our people. Let's carry on with horse and buggies. What is wrong with that? If they're happy with it, what is wrong with it? But also, the Amish are capable of moving the other way. The vast majority of Amish households have a washing machine, and that's either powered by a little electric generator, a little gas generator, or a little solar power generator. And they use a washing machine because they recognise that a washing machine represented real progress for the people in their communities that had to do the washing. Women, I'm talking about. And it could make their lives better by having washing machines. So they have washing machines. In Amish schools, the children use pocket calculators. Why? Because it makes life a lot easier for them and makes and stops them being afraid of maths and starts getting them to enjoy math and be very proficient at it. So we can explore things and decide if we want to make that leap into the future or not. And we can decide if progress is actually progress in the direction we want to go in or whether it's no progress at all. Now, next time you hear a politician or a company boss or somebody use the word progress, ask yourself, have they defined which direction this progress is in? And when they say progress, do they really mean progress for me? Or do they mean progress for them? And I'm pretty sure that you will find that the latter is the case. Now, before closing, I want to give you a little quote. This time it's from a television series, which you don't normally get here. Now, I'm going to quote the words of Taylor Sheridan as given through the mouthpiece of his character, John Dutton, in, in Yellowstone. And it's about standing for election as governor. And this is what he says. Quote, if it's progress you want, then don't vote for me. I am the opposite of progress. I am the wall that it bashes against. And I will not be the one who breaks. So let's listen again. If it's progress you want, then don't vote for me. I am the opposite of progress. I am the wall it bashes against, and I will not be the one who breaks. Right, now you will notice two things from that. One, that he doesn't define the direction of progress himself, does he? All he says is, if you want progress, don't vote for me. 
But what he also does is lines himself up with all those people that don't know what he's talking about, which is a very good way to do a political speech, and that's why it was written that way, I'm sure. That if you tell people, if you want progress, don't vote for me, everybody in their own mind is thinking about some progress that they don't want. Nobody is thinking about those areas of progress that they do want. So they're going to line up behind you because they are convinced that what you mean by progress is the same as what they mean by progress. And therein lies the danger, I think. Okay, do let me know what you think about progress. And if you think I'm talking complete rubbish, do let me know. I'd be interested here. Or if you agree with me, you can do that easier. Um, you can contact me either through social media or through an email address, especially for this podcast, which I'll place underneath the recording. Now, what have I been doing this week? Apart from like the rest of you, listening to the news and reading the news and finding it very disheartening. I've been tidying up the garden for autumn, picking in a few last crops, um, bringing, bringing in the apples from the apple trees before the frost causes problems. I've been hacking down some things that need hacking down in the autumn. And I've done some major work around my well. I've got a well in the garden. It's the source of all my water here is a hedge and the hedge was about eight foot tall I think it was about eight foot tall when we moved here and uh, I'm not getting any younger I don't know if you are but I'm not and every year I have to climb up on step ladders to trim off the top of this hedge and I thought this summer I thought I cannot do this continuously because one day I'm going to fall off that step ladder and so what I've been doing is taking the hedge down it stopped being way over the top of my head I'm tall, but it's over the top of my head by a long way to around mid-chest level. So that's what I've been doing, which has taken quite a lot of time. I've also got lots of canning to do, and I've also got lots of pickling to do. And that's what I will be getting on with this week. When the rain comes, I will be inside doing the canning. If the rain stops, I will carry on with my hedging activities outside. Thank you for listening. If you know anyone that will be interested in these podcasts, Please pass the information on to them and uh, I will be grateful for that. Okay, I will be back with you very soon. Thank you and goodbye.